0: Morning, Council. We have one case for argument this morning. Number twenty one one nine seven oh Casey Void et al. versus US EPA et al. Uh, Mr Broughton, I think you're That's up you're, I think you're up first this morning and we're
1: ready when you are. Thank you. Good morning. May it please the court. My name is Derek Broughton and I represent the petitioners Casey and Julie Voigt. Casey and Julie run a cattle ranch and a herd of cattle in central North Dakota in Mercer County. The Coyote Creek Mine is operated alongside the Voight Ranch, sometimes on top of the Voight Ranch, and Coyote Station, run by interviewer Ottertail, is right over the fence from the Voight Ranch. I want to talk about some of that. First I wanna very briefly thank your honors in the 8th Circuit for holding uh, these arguments remotely as well as for having flexibility with the scheduling with the parties. I am unfortunately stuck at home in my basement with a positive COVID test now. So it turned out very well for me that we were doing this remotely or I would have had a rough week. So I appreciate the court's flexibility and wanted to mention that. I also will say my home setup is not ideal. So At times, I'll be looking at the judges, but that means I won't be looking at my camera. So I apologize. It's not that I don't intend to look you in the eye. It bothers me. So I just wanted to mention that. Getting into the issues, though, the issues I intend to discuss are going to be some complicated federal law. But first, I think it's important to know why this case is in front of this court. And, And it's because there's very real people dealing with some very real impacts to their cattle ranch. And so this isn't Uh, A question of an environmental group and the EPA arguing about what deference means. This is Casey and Julie Voigt trying to run a cattle herd and having some very real problems doing that with what is happening. And what's happening is specifically related to particulate matter and dust pollution on their ranch. The best way to sum this up is in our addendum at 22 and 23. There are some pictures and descriptions of this, and putting aside the pictures of the dust, the other things the voids are facing is Julie having to wake up every morning and scrape the dust off of the watering tank for her horses. These are the issues that we're trying to address, and I think it's important to start there because from here I'm going to get into some very complicated minutiae in federal environmental law, and I don't want to lose sight of what we're really here for and what we're seeking. In this case, we're really dealing with a single source determination. And what I mean by that is that we have to start by looking at what is the source, and the parties agree on a few things. We agree that whatever the rigs are, whether it's Title V or NSR, Generally, it's the same definition and test, and you look at three criteria. Are they located on one or more continuous or adjacent properties, same industrial grouping? And then the, the one that is really in dispute here is...
0: Counsel, are, counsel this, is, this is Judge Loken. I don't quite understand how the single source determination in this appeal does anything to the impact on the cattle on the ranch that you started out with.
1: Sure, and so if the if they are under a single source, as you can see in the record, what it means is that they're going to need to apply backed best available control technology throughout the mine in order to control these fugitive emissions from the mine that are impacting the Boy Ranch. So that is the very concrete tie is that. There, And I think they dispute this, but you can see from Mr. Toma in the record at Joint Appendix 186, it starts, there's some commentary where the power plant and the mine are discussing permitting implications and who should get what permit, and then they go into actual emissions calculations of, well, this is what's going to happen to the plant if we have this coal plant on our property and it's going to increase and it's going to become a major modification and we'd have to apply back, so we're going to put it over there. That's our point, is that you should, because it was a major modification, and back should apply, and that would help us address the fugitive emission emissions coming from the mine and onto the void property. So what I had said is that we all agree that that is the legal issue for this court to look at, that is the legal issue that DEQ needed to look at, and that is the legal issue that EPA needed to look at, and that they all did look at, and it's simply a question under the criteria, are they under the control of the same person or persons under common control? Thus far we agree. We also agree that in order to determine that, we all should look at the Meadowbrook letter. The Meadowbrook letter is guidance from the EPA on this precise issue and how to make a determination on this precise issue under the Clean Air Act. Literally could not be more on point, but
0: we all agree. What circuit court case says that it's it's binding on state regulatory agencies?
1: I don't know that there is a circuit court I can cite offhand saying that's well, binding. The,
0: the EPA says that the the contrary. Well, I, but they're wrong. It's about nothing that. but it's it's guidance that is not binding on state regulatory agencies. That's wrong. Do you but disagree with that? I
1: absolutely disagree with that. You what's your
0: what's your authority though for just I fine? We disagree. What what's your legal authority for that for a position that's contrary to both agencies? I don't think it is contrary
1: to both agencies, and here's why. The North Dakota no, regulation no,
0: please answer my question, your legal authority for the, your position regarding the Metal Proof letter. My legal
1: authority is the North Dakota Administrative Code provisions that are verbatim they, they are the same provisions as the federal provisions that the EPA is interpreting in the meadowbrook guidance there is no no didn't
2: the north dakota agency claim to be applying the meadowbrook letter yes and they also everybody agreed that that was the standard what is your position as to what error epa made we're already six minutes in you've not even touched on what you think was the error by the EPA. could you get to that before you run out of time
1: Absolutely, Your Honor. What the EPA did here is say, they made this determination that in interpreting the word demonstrate, that we didn't address or engage the rationale of the DEQ. If you look at the EPA's order itself, they agree with us that what we said in our petition is sufficient under the Meadowbrook guidance. It is sufficient, that provision in the LSA, that is sufficient to demonstrate common control. The other thing the EPA said in its order is that nothing the DEQ said in response to anything both we and the EPA told the DEQ, none of that changes what we said in the petition, meaning what we said in the petition remains sufficient to establish common control. So this idea that we didn't engage the rationale is artifice. The rationale was fully and frontally engaged by our original petition. We didn't change it because we didn't need to because it remained sufficient to establish common control. The EPA said that literally in its order, refusing to object. That's the bottom line. And if you look at our petition in the LSA, so the the things we agree on, the DEQ and the EPA, they agreed the Meadowbrook guidance applies, they applied the Meadowbrook guidance. And in doing so, they looked at common control and they looked at the Lignite sales agreement. We all looked at these things exactly the same. So where do we depart? The Lignite sales agreement requires them to submit a mining plan. Now, the the EPA and the others say, well, it's just a mining plan. It's not just a mining plan. This requires a level of detail that includes estimated capital budget containing detailed itemized estimates of all capital expenditures. Literally, all capital expenditures have to be approved or disapproved by the station on an annual basis the mine has to submit estimated monthly cash flow statements and a projection of the next 4 years of operations in such detail as directed by coyote station
0: council that i mean that's just repeating your briefs and your petition it doesn't get at the epa's reasoning why it did not it did, it did not have to grant an objection so here's when, why they... when the state agency concluded had a different
1: Perspective on the LSA, and here's here, here's my answer to that, and I'll and I'll be done, and I can answer it very briefly with authority. At Sierra Club B. Johnson, one, the first Sierra Club B. Johnson case, that court, the Eleventh Circuit, stated the Clean Air Act and EPA's own regulations do not allow EPA unfettered discretion. To ignore obvious violations of Title V permit program requirements, they talk about demonstration and Chevron deference, and then they quote to this conference report from this provision, and they say, if that were not otherwise clear, the conference report for the 1990 amendment settles it. And that conference report says, Section 7661db2 sets out clearly the procedures required of EPA in reviewing permits. Simply put, EPA is required to object to permits that violate the Clean Air Act. The duty is non-discretionary. The Eleventh Circuit stopped there. If you go to, and that's at 1280, 436, F third twelve sixty 1280, You finish that conference report. Well,
0: Council, you just talked so fast that you might, you might, we might as well not even be here. Well, he then just I rattled w- off pages. You haven't given a citation.
1: Sierra Club v. Johnson four three six F third. Is it in your brief? 69. Is it in your brief? That is in the brief. What is not in the brief is the remaining paragraph of that conference report, which states, and this is Congress on the very provision that's at issue in this case, and this is Congress saying... Is this cited in your brief? This part of the conference report... This conference report, can we... Yes, it's in the brief. The citation to this page is in the brief. What is not quoted in the brief is this. In such a suit, such as this, the court could compel the administrator to object to the permit. Courts in such citizens' suits are as capable, as is the administrator, to review the merits of the petition and determine if an objection should be entered to the permit. Accordingly, courts in such suits should grant no deference to the views of the administrator and should review the merits of the petition de novo in order to arrive at its determination whether to order the administrator to issue an objection to the permit. The EPA has an independent obligation to review whether or not this permit complies, and it did not do that. It said in its order, refusing to object. So, to so
0: you're counsel, let me. You're talking so fast. Let me see. What I hear you saying is that a a congressional conference report. We are required to follow a congressional conference report, which says ignore Chevron and otherwise governing Supreme Court administrative law authority. I disagree. That's what, that's, what I heard, not, that's what I heard you just say.
1: Okay, Your Honor, that's not what I said. That's not what I meant. The conference report says that EPA has an independent obligation, as does this court, to review the petition and determine whether the permit complies with the law. They determined that it did not, but they deferred to the DEQ for no reason.
2: That's well, hold, the, on, well, hold on a second. I thought your argument was that the EPA aired because it didn't even get to the merits of the permit. It just made a procedural ruling that supposedly the petition was inadequate because it didn't address the specific LSA provisions that the state relied on and instead argued other LSA provisions. And I thought the issue before us is whether that's Arbitrary or capricious reasoning, such that the case should be sent back to the agency for the agency to actually grapple with the merits now do I understand that correctly or
1: that's not? right Your honor, you do understand that correctly that's what we asked for in our briefing. What I'm saying is under this conference committee report, if we're saying the word demonstrates is ambiguous, then this is the best evidence we have of Congress's intent, and the intent was. That this court can make its own determination, and I think this court has a choice as to whether or not to vacate and remand for further proceedings or require them to object. And with that, and unless there's other questions, I'd like to reserve the remainder of my time for rebuttal. Well,
0: I do, I, I do, I do have one question, and it's my yes, only on. question. Um, for clarification, would you agree that the um, the voids petition does not? specifically address the, um, the content of this four-page filing by the Department of Health that makes reference to stationary source determination.
1: It does not explicitly reference the content of the stationary source determination, but my distinction is that it does address it because it sets out a sufficient condition that is unaffected by that four-page document or anything in it. I would like to reserve the remainder of my time.
0: Well, I, would, I would like to know if you have a case where a court has directed the EPA to, to object. Um, your Honor,
1: I would have to get back to you, but I do believe one of the primary cases discussing this issue about the word demonstrate, I think that one of those circuit cases did order them
0: to object. All right. Well, I'd like if in your rebuttal time, I'd like the citation to that because that's an extraordinary, that's an extraordinary remedy. Let's see uh,
1: it, I want to resume the remainder of my time and did so following the judge's questions.
0: Mr. Mitchell.
3: Yes, Your Honor, one moment. I'm getting my screen back in order. Thank you. Your honors, and may it please the court, my name is David Mitchell, and I represent respondent EPA in this matter. EPA will be sharing at least four minutes of respondents' oral argument time with interveners in support of EPA. We also thank you for your flexibility in scheduling this oral argument. This court should deny the Voss petition because first, the Voss did not address North Dakota's reasoning and the source determination responding to their 2018 comment on the permitted issue here. Second, the votes waived any objections to the public participation North Dakota provided. North Dakota was not required to reissue the permit for public comment. And third, EPA did not require the votes to respond to North Dakota's September 2020 letter submitted
0: after the votes petition. Council, you're now the second attorney this morning talking faster than my ears, old ears, can keep up with. Yes, Your Honor, I will
3: uh, slow down my, my, my pace. Um, I want to first address the legal authority issues that you brought up in petitioner's argument here because, uh, from EPA's perspective, there is a regulation that has been passed and is final in this case and not subject to judicial, judicial review. That regulation is at 40 CFR 70.12A26 which provides that a petitioner must explain how the permanent authority's response to a petitioner's comment is inadequate to address the issues raised in the public comment. This regulation implemented EPA's long held position that the demonstration burden that a petitioner must meet in order to establish noncompliance with the Clean Air Act under 42 USC 7661db2. The regulation served to give notice to the public that this was an irreducible minimum that was required in order to meet the demonstration burden. EPA had applied this interpretation and orders for well over a decade, whereby if a petitioner did not respond to the reasoning of a permitting authority Particularly in a response to a comment, and particularly here, where we have a highly fact specific determination in the area of common control that it did not meet the demonstration burden. Now, it's it okay. EPA's understanding. Let's
2: give this, Mr. Mitchell. Why isn't it an explanation of inadequacy to say that the state ignored the relevant factors in the LSA? the factors that EPA itself said were relevant. Your Honor, because under the
3: regulation and EPA's view on its plain face, it requires some engagement with the permitting authority's reasoning and there has to be engagement with the factors. And a particular note, North Dakota did a holistic source determination here. It was not only the midnight sales agreement that they analyzed. They also pointed to additional factors the existence of state and federal air pollution control requirements that operated independently at the mine and the power plant. And it also pointed to its observations that the operations at the mine were indeed independent of the power plant. So to say that analysis of the LSA was the only factors that North Dakota considered is just factually wrong under the record. And you can look at the analysis in our Addendum 5-8 through eight or the Joint Appendix 499-502. to 502.
2: Well, that, that wasn't really my question. I, I don't think I asked whether the state mentioned only the LSA. My question was, why isn't it an explanation of inadequacy to say that the state ignored important provisions of the LSA that demonstrate common control? Your Honor, because at a bare minimum, in order to explain an
3: inadequacy, where you have a state agency that is responsible for determining the permit provisions and issuing the permit in the first instance, there needs to be some engagement with the factors that the state agency actually considered, particularly here in a highly specific common control. If you look at the spectrum of what a uh, petitioner could do, when they respond, they could say, we simply disagree. We disagree with what the state agency said. Now that's clearly inadequate. Or you could have on the other end, somebody that in excruciating detail discusses every factor and rebuts them and discusses the factors in conjunction that clearly would be sufficient to address the reasoning. EPA really has met a, is established a minimum standard here. At a minimum, you have to address and grapple with we have to explain the inadequacy considering the reasoning that the permitting authority actually provided. This is a certainly a reasonable interpretation of the regulatory language when considering the federal uh, cooperative federalism structure of the Clean Air Act. North Dakota is the permitting authority and is not EPA. As the Supreme Court has noted, it is not EPA's role to sit as a as a super permitting authority, conduct an entirely new de novo review, particularly here when you're in a highly fact specific scenario of common control, the analysis uh, needs to be properly limited. And in that context, EPA has long interpreted that at a minimum, a petitioner needs to engage with the reasoning and discuss the reasoning that the state actually provides. And then in this case, The VOTS did not do that. They simply restated an analysis that they provided in their 2019 petition. And you can compare those analyses in EPA's addendum in pages one through four and pages nine through 12. And you will see that they're exactly the same. After North Dakota issued that source determination, there was a requirement under the regulation that the votes actually grapple with address the reasoning that North Dakota provided, and they simply did not do that. Under the regulation, this is an irreducible minimum requirement. Courts have upheld this interpretation at the statutory level, not in the Eighth Circuit, but the McLarency EPA case upheld the interpretation of the
2: do you, yes, have a case, do you have a case where the objection wasn't a quarrel with the reasoning of the agency, but an argument that the state ignored factors that would have been conclusive in showing common control? Do you have a case that says that's an insufficient objection under the regulation? Your
3: Honor, no. We do not have a case that has that specific scenario. But in this context, the there was no finding here by EPA, and this is a correction that I think needs to be made. EPA did not do an independent analysis of North Dakota's common control analysis under their state program. What EPA did was they provided some comments and guidance on how they would have applied their guidance if they were the permanent authority in the first instance. They did not issue a determination on reasonableness. They did not issue a determination on how they would have decided the common control question if they were reviewing this as the permanent authority in the first instance. What they did is they applied the regulation a minimum irreducible requirement, that in order to meet the demonstration burden, there needed to be some engagement with the permitting authority's reasoning. They went on to explain that If they were the permitting authority, they may have considered different factors more relevant than North Dakota, but that doesn't change the fact that the regulatory requirement that EPA codified was not met here.
0: Mr. Mr. Mitchell, let me me ask you, and I don't expect an answer one way or another, but have you given any thought to whether the EPA case recently argued before the Supreme Court, I think in the last week or so, is potentially relevant or of significance? to this case?
3: Um, Your Honor, uh, if you're referring to the case I was argued on, on Monday, the West Virginia case, that uh, we don't view that case as relevant here. Um, it's okay. pretty far <laughs> field of the issue that's going on here. Okay. Um, so, no, Your Honor.
2: Say, um, Mr. Mitchell, regarding the September 29, 2020 letter. Yes, Your Honor. What do we know about how that came to, how that came about? what what led the state to send a follow-up letter was there some inquiry from the epa it says at the beginning it's come to our attention that epa may want more information do we have background to that your honor yes there
3: was an inquiry from epa to north dakota asking for more information however those inquiries simply are not relevant to the inquiry here when you look at the face of the order where would that
2: be in the record, in the appendix, the inquiry from EPA? Do you know? Um, Your honor. honor, yes. I believe. It's going is, this, to be. is this the one that was redacted in a FOIA request and made reference to the problematic permit? Uh Your Honor, I'm not, I don't, I'd have to
3: look through the joint appendix to see this. Okay, all right, go ahead
2: then. Go ahead, I don't wanna take your time looking through it.
3: Sure, what I do know, Your Honor though, is that when you look at the order, the justification that uh, EPA relied on was that, and to quote directly, that the Vox did not substantially address or attempt to rebut any of the lines of reasoning provided by North Dakota, the April 2020 source determination. It's hard to see how, if the court were to remand on this issue, that there would be any change here, and we would be here just a few months later with a slightly different order. And Your Honor, I see that my time is concluding, unless you have any further questions for EPA, turn it over to
0: interveners in behalf of EPA. Very good. Mr. Uh, Let's see. Mr. J- Jader. Thank you. J- Jader,
4: thank you, Your J- Honor. Um, uh, let, let me let me address real quick uh, the last question that uh, Judge Colton asked about the problematic permit and that uh, communication. That communication happened during after the first petition to object uh, and after the first permit that was uh, uh, submitted. It was not related to the second uh, action. And uh, I don't know exactly uh, how EPA asked the agency about uh, further information, but uh, about, about consideration of the LSA provisions that uh, EPA had cited in its letters, which are the same that uh, the petitioners cite here, uh, but it might have been a oral communication or, or an email. I don't know. But what I can tell you also uh, is that is that regardless of that, the fact of the matter is that the record as a whole very clearly demonstrates that the inquiry from EPA on this issue was completely irrelevant and that the agency, the state agency, definitely considered the provisions that EPA and uh, the petitioners uh, uh, cited. In fact, thanks to uh, the uh, petitioner's FOIA request, uh, we have in the record several uh, draft determinations that the agency had prepared and these are at uh, joint appendix they start at joint appendix 820 page 8, 841 8, 846 each one of those determinations actually looked at the very specific provisions that were cited by the petitioners and explained why uh, they did not uh, find them conv- convincing to get a uh, common determination uh, common control determination uh, at least they clearly show that the agency very, very carefully considered them. In fact, I will point out to you something more on that. Uh, at page eight fifty of the joint appendix, which is within one of those provisions, one of, one of those memos, the agency actually looked at uh, LSA section eighteen point four, which no party had actually ever mentioned to it. Not even CCMC, the mine, or uh, the, the interveners, uh, the plant owners. And that provision uh, uh, very clearly shows that even under the mining plan, which what the uh, which the uh, uh, petitioners make a lot of a lot of in terms of control, uh, even under that, Coyote Station does not have any authority to require uh, uh, the, the mine uh, to to do anything other than to comply with its environmental. Uh, 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 it, it, Obligations on its own as as demand. Uh, so I took a lot of my time, <laughs> and I don't have a lot uh, uh, to to kind of address uh, uh, this question. But uh, but 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 let me let me continue on this. I mean, in our view, it's clear that the that the determination is reasonable. Uh, the the agency looked at four factors. These factors are that CCMC has its own permit. It, it, requ- it, it sets the applicable requirements. K.O. Station does not have any kind of role in determining what those co- applicable requirements are for the mine. And no mining plan. And that, by the way, that permit was obtained before there was ever a mining plan because it was at the beginning of the... before the, the plant was constructed even. I mean, the mine was constructed. And no mining plan is going to make any difference in what applicable requirements are going to apply to this mine. Second, the intent of the contract in LSA Section 21 is clear. The parties are separate. They each have their duties and obligations and responsibilities. Third, uh, the, the the state has observed that in actual practice. And finally, the contract makes clear that in terms of inspections that are that Coyote Station does have the right to do in order to make sure that the mining plan is followed and it gets the, the, the coal that it wants, the it ignite that it wants, does not give Coyote Station the authority to 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 control anything related to operational requirements uh, or actions which are what ma- what determines actual compliance with the regulations with the with the permit and the regulations i see that my time has ended so uh, uh unless there are any questions uh, i will i will stop
0: thank you council let's see where's I'll, I'll give you two minutes for rebuttal mr brun Thank you, Your Honor. I would first point out that we are now
1: apparently being asked to have responded to a draft memo that was never even submitted to EPA and to an arbitration clause in that draft memo and the DEQ's analysis of that. My main point, however, is that what Mr. Mitchell just said for the EPA results in one of two conclusions. Either the EPA did not do its job and consider this, which is what he said, and it needs to be remanded for them to do their job, or they've sufficiently done the job and agreed with the petitioners such that this court can. Um, The the, the order itself, the last two pages of the order, go through those four things that uh, Mr. Jaber just referenced. And what the EPA says is that, yes, we understand that you have to get a permit and that DEQ has to approve changes to the permit. That's literally self-evident. They said, but the more relevant inquiry under Meadowbrook is whether Coyote Station has the authority to set that process in motion. Whether or not CCMC, the mine, is responsible for compliance with these requirements, this is the EPA's words, does not speak to what the EPA would consider the more important issue. Literally, they said, this is the more important issue under our Meadowbrook guidance, whether Coyote Station can dictate whether the mine complies with these requirements. DEQ's observations of what's happening on the ground at the mine. Again, it's the power or authority to dictate relevant decisions, not the exercise of actual control each day. That's our point. We established that. That's sufficient. Nothing the DEQ says about arbitration clauses or responsibility as between the parties affects that. What we're saying is Coyote Station has power and authority to control the mine, period. EPA, in the last two pages of their order agrees with us. Either they agree with us and had an opportunity and an obligation to object. If they don't agree with us, they need to do this analysis because everything they put in their order agrees with us. The only thing I'll also say is the NYPIRG v. Whitman case did not direct them to object. It sent uh, it, it vacated and remanded. They were asking for them to send instructions to object. It did not actually provide that relief. I would say, though, looking at that case, the court did not say they could not do that. They said in that case they would not. Without any other questions,
0: I'll rest with that. Thank you, Your Honors. Very good, counsel. The case is complex. It's been thoroughly briefed and helpfully argued this morning, and we'll take it under advisement.
2: Thank you, Your Honors. Thank you, Your Honors.